0: Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And i got to tell you something, people. It was, a, uh, it was a sad day this weekend. My old car that I loved, the beautiful 1995 Toyota Tercel with only 113,000 miles on it, died. And I'm going to tell you what bothered me was that place was me when I lived in Vegas and San Diego and Hollywood and Westwood. And for the last 15 years, 14 years, it's been a mainstay on the Burbank streets and the the head gasket went, and I still, I said to Joanne, I said, I want to keep this, I want to keep this car, and she said, you can't, I said, but I love this car, even though it was an awful car, it was just the security of it, and basically, I called my mechanic, and I said, Harry, what will it cost to fix, and what would it cost, let's say, six months down the road, I resell it, and he said, get rid of the car, so I got rid of the car, so now I'm in the car market, but it's just crazy because I'm a carless guy now. I have like two keys on my keychain, but it's not a bad feeling. Anyway, we have a great show today. We we have a, a actor who's just uh, he's he's great. I mean, and he played a character named Coop, which everyone called me growing up. And my guest is Lyndon Ashby. How you doing, Lyndon?
1: I'm good, man. How you doing? Good, good. So uh, you grew up in,
0: you, you grew up in Florida, right?
1: I did. I did. I grew up in uh, Atlantic Beach, Florida, which is right near Jacksonville, northeast corner.
0: And now, as a kid, were you into the were you in sports or were you acting i mean what, at what point in your life did you decide that, hey, you know what I really want to sit there and pursue this craft Was it at a young age or was it older because I know you had left college no, it, to wasn't, act. it wasn't
1: really at a young age when I was a kid I you know surfed and skateboarded uh pretty much nonstop I played soccer I played football till I got too little to uh, to compete with the guys that had grown up okay. <laughs> uh and uh, I start, I think I did a play or two, maybe, in high school. But then really when I got to college, I, uh, I started acting, and I figured out this was something that I, that I loved and that I might be pretty good at. And um, I had a real passion for it. And so I, I dropped out of college after my third year and, uh, and moved to New York and studied at the neighborhood playhouse with uh, Sandy Meisner. And, um, and it was, uh, you know, this, this huge turning point for me. It was like, you know, full on commitment.
0: What do you think made you feel that you loved the passion? And you to the Me Was it, was your major in college? What was your major in college?
1: Oh, I was a, a business and uh psychology. So I didn't do, I didn't have a theater degree. Um, and and I didn't, you know, I wasn't pursuing one, but I, it felt like it was what I. It just, you know, it it was what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to 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 tell these stories, to be these people. To, you know, I found that you could you learn so much about you know human beings by, in a sense, walking in their shoes. And you know, for these these parts and and um, and it was like I say I, I think that it was something that I that I had a uh, you know I had I had a, a I was okay at it I was pretty good at it <laughs> better than I am at talking about it right Uh, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. And it, it just, uh, it kind of struck a chord in me and it was, and I knew that it was what I wanted to do with my life. Now, what was it
0: like going to New York? I mean, you're young, you're hungry. It must've been a great feeling, but it also must've been a little bit scary because you're jumping into a big new city with a-
1: Totally, totally overwhelming. I mean, I got there, I was in New York from, from 81 to 87. Um, which were kind of crazy years to be in the city uh, it was great I mean the music scene was amazing the disco was dying but it wasn't dead yet I remember sitting at like studio 54 with with Andy at a table with Andy Warhol and Timothy Leary Wow uh, <laughs> that's like
0: a, that's, a, that's a movie right there
1: <laughs> yeah no kidding right and uh, and then Rod Stewart rolled in and it was uh, it was just you know... Cocaine was not addictive. Um, and it was the go-go early 80s. and then I think around 84 eight hit, you know and it was everything just like just the screws tightened down on on everything and this this whole world that had been happening kind of just like whoa it was and and you can't understand it now. Unless, you know, unless you were there. But it was, you know, it was like a plague. And it was being in the business that, that I was in, in the world that I was living in. You know, you saw, I, it, it's not, you can't say I saw a generation die because it was multi-generational. But I saw so many people die. And it, it took a creative, cultural Generation, let's say, of all age groups, and and just decimated it, and it was it was scary, and it was weird, and it was heartbreaking, and it was you know just out of control, an out of control time and to be there, um, and and nobody knew anything about it, and nobody, and there was no cure, and there were no cocktails, and there was nothing. If you got it, it was a death sentence. Um, But I was there, yeah I got there when I was 21 And I left when I was 27
0: Now, what made you leave? I mean, were you when you were doing the acting Were you getting parts in New York? Or I, you- was,
1: I was, I was I, You know, I studied for two years At uh, this school uh, At the Neighborhood Playhouse And then uh, I graduated I got an agent I started doing theater um, And I was doing off-Broadway Off-Off-Broadway Regional theater I was working quite a bit um, and then I got on a, uh, a soap opera called Loving uh, on ABC Soap, and uh, I met Susan, my wife, and she was god, she was 21 when I met her. I think I was 24, 23, 24 when we first met, I think. And then you know, it was like this tip, we I don't know. We went out to lunch it, at first. I was just doing a guest spot on the show.
0: Uh, just because you, you were in, in IMDb says you were Curtis Olden number four.
1: <laughs> no, I, I was number two. Okay. <laughs>
0: Damn that IMDb! They're always it's wrong. Not that
1: accurate IMDb. <laughs> but anyway, I met her, and uh, you know we we sort of knew each other a little bit, and then when I got on the show, um, God, I asked her to go out. We dated for about maybe three months. I asked her to marry me. We got married less than three months later. Wow! I know. I mean, and, and,
0: she, and you I, stayed married for so long. I mean, that's what's amazing about it. You know, they always say entertainment couples this and that, but you guys went straight into and at a very young age. I mean, you yeah. Know, I mean, I'm I'm 52, and I think uh, there's like two people I know from high school, and I went to a big high school that actually got like the high school sweethearts got married. And for you guys, for that at that age, it's just amazing.
1: It, it, the odds were totally against us, and we, we just didn't know any better, I guess. Uh, and we loved each other, and we still do. And and uh, and it and it worked. And you know, but would I let my you know would I encourage my kids to do what we did? No. Um, you know, I mean, I, good God, we we you know from soup to nuts in five and a half months or something like that. Um, but thirty years later, it worked out okay
0: so when you guys got married you're still in new york did you yep. both decide to move to la did one of you guys get something for pilot season or i mean what break brought the trek out here because it is if she was on a soap opera you know that's a steady job that's a good job yeah, no, and you, both, you guys are both I, I, working
1: yeah then i was on i was on the soap as a regular and she was on the soap as a regular and then she got off and then uh i i got fired actually i had a shitty attitude and what,
0: what happened? How, how, how did they fire you? Did they just call you in the they office said, and say you're fired?
1: They're like They're like, you're done. We're tired of probably dealing with your bullshit. And, uh, you know, because I was like, man, I was an actor. Uh, and I was probably such a pain in the ass, you know. Why, you know, the integrity of this and, the you know, and this and that. And I would, you know, just agonizing over stuff that they're probably like Jesus Christ kid, just say the line we want to go home um, and uh, so we you know I think Suze was she was on it for three years I was on it for about a year and a half two years um, and we got off and she did a movie called Ruskies and she then you know we're like alright well. LA seems like a place we should be, and we moved out that that uh, January, I guess. Uh, January of God, it was it twenty seventeen or or I'm not twenty seventeen. I'm sorry, nineteen eighty seven. I'm guessing. Yeah, twenty
0: seventeen. You're living in the future. This is <laughs> yeah, right.
1: Uh, nineteen eighty seven, and um, and it was funny. I got out, and I immediately booked a big series with uh with Farrah Fawcett uh called Poor Little Rich Girl uh, and she was playing Barbara Hutton and I played her son and uh and we were sort of off to the races and then you know I had like the you know job 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 and then Susan's career like took off she uh she just exploded you know and she she was I think she was doing a uh she got on Hotel, but then she booked this this mini-series called Elvis and Me, and she played Priscilla Presley. And then it like it was huge. It was a huge mini-series. And uh then she got off that and she, because spelling had let her off to do this, she owed him a uh, a series. So she did uh this this show called Nightingales, which was Incredibly successful, you know, numbers wise, but like the nurses were against it, it was, you know, it was like nurses in, you know, merry Widows and, you know, it, and, you know, it was scandalous. Right. And, and uh, it was great. It, but and, and did huge ratings and they canceled it because the nurses were like boycotting it and everyone was angry and uh, it was pretty funny. And, uh, and then she got on a show called Dear John and did that for, with Judd Hirsch, a, a sitcom, and did that for three years, I think. And in this point, it's like my career, like, I wasn't doing that great. I was playing a lot of music and, um, you know, trying, trying to make it in the music business. What did you play? Uh, I played guitar and sang, and uh, we played around town a ton and chased that record deal and got close a couple times and didn't get it, and... And uh, I remember there were years when, like, Susan was just crushing it. I don't think I could, you know, I wouldn't even make enough to pay her taxes. <laughs> and uh, and then um, then I got, did a couple movies, and then I did a movie called Eight Seconds. And it was with Luke Perry, who I knew because... Luke had been on Loving after I left, and he got fired too because he had a shitty attitude. Maybe and, it was maybe uh, it was just the show. Maybe that, that may be, but the producer was like called him in, and we've always been friends since because the producer was like, "You remind me of another young actor <laughs> 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 who who was very talented, but had a very bad attitude uh, named Lyndon Ashby." And Luke's like, "Oh, awesome!" <laughs> uh, but so Luke was playing. Um, it was Lane um, Lane Frost, but Lane Frost Rodeo. Um, I'm, I'm getting old and forgetting things. Anyway, so I came in, I did this this part in this movie, and then they were casting Wyatt Earp, this big Kevin Costner film. And John Avildsen, who directed uh, 8 Seconds, really went out of his way. He sent over footage to Larry Kasdan. And, you know, really went out of his way to help me get that part. And I've owed him a huge debt ever since then. And uh, just a great guy. No. And, and then I got Wyatt Earp, and then I got Mortal Kombat, and then, you know, it's just sort of started working a ton. But with- and what, But what's kind of cool about it is that Susan and my careers, you know, it's like, we have always sort of like we sort of ebb and flow as careers do, but we've done it in this kind of brilliant kind of synchronicity that that's like I'm making money, she's not; she's making money, I'm not. You know, it's like, and so we've just kind of ridden these waves through our life together, and and you know, when when I was young. I think that, that it really bothered me that she was more successful than I was. And now, holy shit, if she would get a series and and, and bring home a ton of money, I'd be like, yeah, baby. <laughs> that's,
0: that's called maturity. That's yeah. Now, with the Wyatt Earp, i got to ask you, you know, he really pulled for you. And you figured, you know, it's a Costner movie. It's this big, big movie. Right. As, as an actor, I know, because I talked to someone, Patrick Fabian from uh, Better Call Saul, and he said... When he got that part, everybody wanted the part, and he was just like, oh my God, I can't believe I got it. For you, were you sitting there going, man, I'm really going to go up against heavy hitters because it is a Costner movie. It is a big scale Western, and it's got a great cast.
1: I mean, it was right at the peak of Kevin's you know, career. Um, and I remember walking into the rehearsal hall. You know, it was like a big movie, and we had a week of rehearsal. Which all I'm thinking is holy shit! I'm gonna go in and rehearse, and they're gonna go. They're gonna you suck, and they're gonna fire me. Uh, um, but uh, they didn't, thankfully. Um, but I remember walking in, and it's you know, it's Kevin, it's Gene Hackman, it's Dennis Quaid, it's it's Tom Sizemore, and Michael Madsen, and and Mayor Winningham, and jo Beth Williams, and Mark Harmon, and and you know just you name it they're they're in that room and it's Kasdan's directing and it's this big budget warner brothers western and i am like oh man <laughs> i am uh i'm the new guy uh but i i did it and if i could do it again i would just you know i was so kind of uptight about trying to prove that I belong, you know, that I was good enough to be there. And, and i just relax and have fun and enjoy the ride. And, and uh, you know, I think the greatest gift that an actor or that a human being can have is know that you're enough, you know? You're enough. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to prove anything. You're enough. And, uh, and it's such an appealing quality in people you know, we're we're totally drawn to those people who are like, "Hey, I'm really comfortable in my skin, and um, life is good."
0: So after that movie, you said then you got Mortal Kombat. Now, I did. now, now you were a you started doing martial arts when you were around 21, I think I read.
1: Right, I did. You know, uh, did some karate. I boxed a ton. Uh, from like 18 to 20 or 21. Now,
0: what are you thinking? You're a good-looking guy. You want to get into acting and you're boxing. If you had an agent, they would probably say, "Get out of the ring." Uh,
1: probably, but uh, I, you know, I don't know. I didn't didn't know I was going to be. I did. I was just doing theater and then. I didn't know I was going to be an actor professionally. And I liked to box, and I thought that, uh, you know, in hindsight, it's a good thing. And it's it's funny because I'll talk to. Uh, I'll talk to young actors and they're like, what should I be doing? And, you know, what, you know, I've got this theater degree and, and, and or I'm, you know, getting a theater degree. What should I do? And I'm like, um, you should, you know, like there was one kid and his dad built prisons in Mexico that, that I was talking to. And he was kind of, you know, wealthy kid. And I was like, you should, go and build prisons in mexico during the summer and he's like what and i'm like go you're not going to play a rich entitled person you want to play people who are you know from every walk of life go live with those people go work with those people and, you know like when i was growing up i you know worked in the shipyards i hung sheetrock i worked on a ranch i uh you know, I was also a lifeguard for, you know, a little bit, which was kind of fun. Um, You know, I was a bartender. I was a waiter. I was, fuck, I did temp work in offices. I did, uh, I did anything and everything, you know, and, and I think that that's what you have to do because you gotta, you gotta broaden your world, you know, you can't just keep it suburban or you're going to be Pretty boring, I think.
0: Yeah, I think also for the roles you get, you know, you. Ha- yeah. I mean, you have to have some experience of, as you said, you did all these different things. You know, a guy who comes in, they say, "Hey, play a sheet rock or a, a shipyard." A lot of times, they're going to sit there and overanalyze it when it's like, "No, just do it," because you have experience from it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember what I remember from being in the shipyard is that it sucked. It was hot. Uh, it was really hot. I was I was the low man on the totem pole, so I was doing insulation in a in a oil rig, in the living compartments of an oil rig in Florida in the summer with insulation just fiberglass all over me. Uh and at lunch the uh the guys would uh all they would do is talk about the peppers that they grew in their garden and we'd eat <laughs> hot peppers in fucking hundred degree heat. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, wow. Uh okay. Uh but it's you know you start you start living for that whistle you know whistle blows you go to work whistle blows you take a break whistle blows you come back from break whistle blows you go to lunch whistle blows you come back from lunch whistle blows you go home you know it's uh and it's it's uh, there was a there was it was a fun you know it was fun too because you sure you didn't bring your work home with you You know, I wasn't thinking about putting up insulation when I got off work. I was thinking about getting a cold beer and goddamn washing the the burning peppers out of my stomach. (laughs) Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, I told this kid, I'm like, if there wasn't a war, I would suggest, you know, go in the military. You know, do something. Get outside your comfort zone. You know, go hitchhike, you know, across America. Do do. Do something, and but he he didn't want to do that. He wanted to like I don't know what he wanted. To do. Of course, I actually talked to him. Maybe he did. Who knows? No, no.
0: So now, now what we said? You so you took up the boxing. Now how did that lead into your whole other martial arts? And what martial arts did you study?
1: Uh, when I was about twenty one, just a little bit of karate, um, and I wasn't super duper great at it, um, and. But I, you know, I always worked out, hit the bag, threw kicks, punches, you know. I was pretty good with my hands, um, better with my hands than I was with my feet, and and just enjoyed it. And then Mortal Kombat came along, and and we, you know, trained up, and then I just really sort of kind of liked it, and started doing a lot more jobs that required it, so I studied a lot more, and... You know a lot of different disciplines and and techniques, and you know I'd like I'd be doing a job, and whatever studio was nearest to the hotel is what I would study. Um, you know, so I've studied Wing Chun, I've studied karate, Taekwondo, Kung Fu, uh, you know, Krav Maga. I've it's a you know pretty pretty broad spectrum of martial arts. And, and I like it that you, you know, you take what works and, uh, or what works for you. And, and, you know, it was never about getting a belt for me. It was about sort of working out and learning something new.
0: Now through Mortal Kombat and wider, yeah. you started doing, were you jumping back and forth to TV and movies? And back then a lot of people didn't do that. What was that like for you? Cause you're doing, I mean, you go from a wider where it's probably a, a long day with you know the angles and you, you're going back in tv how are you juggling your career and were you getting parts offered to you because yeah. you were in these blockbusters i mean you know mortal Kombat, people know i mean if you're my age you know if, if you're over 45 you know what mortal Kombat is you know what i mean it, it's just like wider everybody knows that movie was yeah. hollywood reaching out to you then saying hey they, we, we want this guy
1: they were in a certain way and then they weren't in a certain way because What happened is, like, Wyatt Earp was, you know, this critically, you know, it was the right kind of movie to be in, you know? But it didn't do well at the box office. It didn't, if you remember. It was, I think we won our opening weekend, but then it was kind of a flop, and and everyone thought Tombstone was a better movie, and it was way more successful, and Wyatt Earp pretty much told the same story. But we did it in three hours, um, and and you know we it wasn't it was not a commercially successful film. And then I got Mortal Kombat, which was commercially hugely successful. You know, no no video game adaptation had ever worked before, and you know it's like they'd done Double Dragon, and Street Fighter, and Mario Brothers, and they'd all flopped and. No one thought Mortal Kombat was going to do anything, and it and it did. You know, it was like it was this juggernaut. You know, we were number one for three weeks at the box office, but it was the wrong kind of movie. If you, you know, it was like no one took it seriously, and they and they and you know, I had people like saying, "Well, it's you know, not to me, but to my agents, you know, going, well, it was only successful because of the title." like completely forgetting the other video game movies that had equally big titles that had flopped. Um, but, and so then I got, um, I'll tell the heartbreak story. Um, so I'm doing reshoots on Mortal Kombat, and I'd gone in after Wider, and I'd met with Joel Schumacher, and he talked about a film. He said, I, I can't, you know, I can't talk about what it is, but I think he'd be great in this part, blah, 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 blah. You know, and we sat and chatted for an hour. And uh, then after, you know, I'm I'm doing reshoots on Mortal Kombat, and he he calls my agent, and he has me come in for another meeting. And uh, he goes, well, you probably know that the project that I'm doing is called A Time to Kill. And we talk, and we talk, and we talk, and we talk for another hour. And then he calls me in again, and he's in the mixing studio at this point. Uh, and he's mixing Batman, one of the Batman movies, I think the George Clooney one. Uh, and he, you know, we talk again, and he, we go outside, and this is either our third, I don't know if we had another meeting before that, we might have, but he calls me back in, and I go there, and we're, we go out back of the mixing studio. Uh... And he goes, well, he goes, do you want to do this part? And I went, yeah, hell yeah. And he goes, good. He goes, you're going to be great in this movie. He goes, you're going to be great. We're going to have a great time making this film. And I said, well, look, do I need to, you know, do I, I'm I'm going to Florida. Do I need to, uh, you know, I know Grisham is in North Carolina, I think. And, you know, do you want, I can go up there and meet with him if that'll help. Um, he goes, no, don't worry about it. He goes, take off, go have a good time. we we'll, I'll see you. I'm, you know, I'm basically, I'll see you on set. Uh, this is you're, and that was the last thing he ever said. He goes, you're going to be amazing in this film. He goes, you're going to be great in this part. I can't wait. And then I read that Matthew McConaughey got the part, and no call from from Schumacher, no nothing. And I'm like what the fuck just happened there? And then there was another part, um, I think in a movie, something to talk about with Julia Roberts and Dennis Quaid. And that was, I think, right after White. There was just a series of movies that I just didn't get. I mean, like, his college roommate got the part. Dennis Quaid's college roommate got the part. After I'd gone in, the producer had called... My lawyers had called. Everyone, they're like, hey, great, you know, congratulations, you got the part. This is awesome. Um, you know, I remember I was going down to San Diego to take with Susan to take the girls to SeaWorld. Go have a great weekend. We'll, we'll close the deal on Monday. And then Brett went in on Saturday and got the part. Uh, and it just was, I needed that one more movie, that one more part. But then, I think if maybe that had happened, I don't know if, you know, you never know what life would have been like, you know? Would you, would it, would it, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, who knows? Would I still be with Susan? Would I, you know, would I become somebody different? Would I, um, I don't know. Um, And it's, it's, uh you know, you can second-guess his stuff to death, but at the time, I was, like, just devastated. Yeah,
0: I would think, as an actor, I mean, especially because, you know, it is it is such a tough field, and it's not like you went in and auditioned and you came out and said, I nailed the audition. Here, you know, you were told you would get the part. And, yeah. And, I, I, and it was a few in a row, and I, I think of it as, like, one of those baseball players who, you know, I'm a Phillies fan. Ryan Howard had these amazing seasons, and now he just can't get something and you think of what goes on psychologically after those movies how do you stay on the horse and how do you even go into an audition knowing that thinking hey what they say might be bullshit because I've been screwed over a few times in the last few episodes uh, things I did
1: yeah I mean it's uh you just you know I guess you're like a uh, you know you're like a cornerback not a quarterback, a cornerback, and, you know, you got to have a short memory. You know, guy beats you, you got to have a short memory, and you just... But, it, it, yeah, it, it fucks you up. Um, I don't know how you do it, but you do it. And then, I guess I did a... Uh, I did a couple little movies that, that didn't really mean anything, and then I did a series for ABC called Spy Game, and we were like the critical, you know, well, I don't know, it was, we were, did great, and then Capital Cities, between the time that we were developed, you know, the order made, 13, and the time that we aired, ABC, or Capital Cities had sold ABC to Disney. And so we were the old regime's show, and we never had a chance, you know, and we, you know, it's like, I remember being with one of the network executives, and we are at a party for something, and we're, we're, you know, a few cups in, and I said, geez, just one more show, come on. I said, you know, give us one more show. Uh, you know, this you know, third or fourth episode, whatever. I go, it's, it's a great episode. And she goes, yeah, maybe a little too good.
0: See, that's what I hate too. And I hear this from a lot of actors come on the show. When you're involved with shows that are so good or, or there's just such a good cast that for some reason the networks get scared.
1: And no they, they weren't scared they didn't want us. we were the old regime's show they wanted their shows they wanted new shows they wanted you know we were tainted we were tainted goods okay so then you know that show got canceled and then I did more I guess I did Melrose place at that point now
0: I got to tell you the Melrose because I've been called coop my whole life, and nice. I, I like to, it's been my nickname forever. And I crack up because whenever I Bradley Cooper wants to be called Coop, I'm like I'm older than you. I'm
1: Coop. Yeah, I'm Coop. You're not.
0: Yeah. What was it like being on Melrose? Because it's that had such a. I mean, you know, the, the younger kids don't remember, but that had like. I mean, that show blew up. I mean, people were into that. That was like a, I mean, I was back East at the time, I think, and people just loved that. I mean, were you starting to get noticed on the streets and had you been going through that with your career from Mortal Kombat and stuff like that?
1: Yeah, I had already, I had already gotten a certain level of celebrity, I guess. And, uh, so I went after, Spy Game got canceled. I went to, uh, on a surf trip to Costa Rica with a buddy of mine. And this is back, well, in the 90s. And, uh, um, let's say, mid-90s, mid to late 90s, and, you know, cell phones existed, but they sure didn't, you know, there was no cell phones in, in Costa Rica that you could talk to the United States, so we went for about a week or 10 days, and we were out of, out of communication, I mean, I talked to Susan, and she's like, well, you know, Scotty, your managers, they're trying to get a hold of you, and I'm like, I'll talk to them when I get back, whatever, and um, You know, there was nothing I could do about anything when I was in Costa Rica anyway. So uh, I guess that they called Scott and they said it was the best negotiating I ever did in my life because I called him up and they they said, will he do this part? And he said, I don't know. He's he's, he's, he's not in, in the country. He's on a surf trip. And they go, all right, well, we'll offer him this much money for 13 shows. And Scotty's like, I, I don't know. Uh, and then they call back, will he do it? And he goes, I don't know, I haven't talked to him. And they go, all right, see series regular, this much money. And he's like, I, I, I don't know, he, I haven't talked to him. And then they call back, and they keep calling back, and finally I get back in town, and it's like, okay, they want you for this, this amount, for this many shows, this much money. I'm like, holy shit, I would have said yes, like, you know, two weeks ago. Um and it was it was funny because I came on the show and it was the the sixth sixth season and it was already um, you know very well established, and I was coming into this thing that that it wasn't really a genre that I knew a ton about. All I had been doing for you know five years was you know westerns and fight movies, and suddenly you've got you know this dynamic of they talked a lot, I thought, you know, in, in, more in Melrose Place. It's like, you know, everyone just had long conversations. I'm like, well, fuck, I should have just punched the guy or walked out of the room or something about five minutes ago. Um, but it was, a, it was, it was fun. It was in, really interesting to be a part of this part of pop culture, you know? And I don't know that, that, that they didn't really know what they were going to do with the character. Um, and it kind of like started one way and went another way and then went another way. And then went. it kind of, you know, and you can't really do that. You have to kind of hit the ground with a character that people can identify with and either love or hate or root against or root for or something. But it was just sort of middle of the road, kind of mishy mash. And so it lasted a, a season. Um, I think I did 32 or three or four episodes total. And, uh, And uh, and it was fun. It was interesting, but you know,
0: don't know. Now, you also worked on some soaps. Now, what's that like when you're going from being in a movie, being in TV, where it's a lot of sit around and wait? To I mean, I know you'd start off in a soap, and and so you have to have. But you, as you said, then you were fired because you know you're just you had had an attitude or whatever. And now, it's you're older and a wiser actor, and you know it's all about the craft, and you have to you know you have to produce. What is it like when you go back to something that, like to a soap where you have to learn so much? I mean, I talked to people who've been on soaps. It's like, it's like you you shoot, you go home, you learn your lines, you yeah. go back. You, I mean, what's that like when you're someone who's used to doing TV and movies with, the, as we say, sit around and wait? What's it like when it seems it's probably more pressure filled? And did you think yeah. did you study more from that? Is it to take back to your theater days when you had to learn
1: stuff? yes it does and it's a it it is a skill set that you learn being on a soap opera and i i never you know since loving i like i came on the young and the restless because uh susan was on it and they they asked me they you know they said hey will you come and do like this 13 you know they asked her hey would he do this like 13 show arc and she's like i don't know ask him and I was like, sure, I'll come on. I get to work with you know Susan and whatever, and and I came on. And then they added some shows to it, but it was really fun. But it was it was a whole different thing because you know, like you say, you you've got twenty pages of dialogue, and then you got twenty pages tomorrow, and then you got twenty pages the next day, and you shoot it, and you get maybe one or two shots at, at you know tries at it, and you better get it right, and. um and it was it was it's terrifying. It's it's really scary, and uh, but it was fun. And and I did that, and I think I was doing that, and then I was doing a like a TV movie at the same time. Um, so I was just running back and forth, but it was a blast. And then and then I did a similar thing on Days of Our Lives, I think where Ed Scott, who was the executive producer of Young and the Restless, took over at Days of Our Lives and I was living it in, in Georgia at that point and he called and said, Hey, will you come in and do this? And I went, you know, you guys, we gotta shake this show up. And I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah, sure, whatever. And uh I come in and do it and and I and I I never figured that I'd stay real long on those shows but it sure was fun to go in and uh, and kind of shake things up.
0: Now what were you doing living in Georgia?
1: Um, well, it was 2007 I think when we moved there and and our girls were high school age and Susan was, who's way smarter than I am was like I really don't want them going to go to high school in in Los Angeles not that there's anything wrong with it but um and she and she's like I want to spend time with you know my parents are still alive I want to spend time I want our girls to have family and this and that and you know this high school experience and so I went all right you know and I, I my whole thing was I was like I never wanted to overstay my welcome at the party I'd had a pretty good run as an actor and I didn't you know I was kind of I've gotten this I mean I think that it had all sort of gotten to me at this point and I wasn't auditioning very well I was kind of having panic attacks and and just freaked out about everything and just was my own worst enemy and uh, and I was like okay yeah let's go maybe I'll do something different with my life I don't know Um, and we you know we had done pretty well and saved money and we headed for Georgia and bought a little farm there and settled down. And And uh, I was looking at a bookstore that I was maybe going to buy. And, you know, my parents were in Florida, so I got to see them quite a bit. And, and it was great because my, my, uh, my dad got sick and, you know, wound up passing away. But I was able to be with him a ton. Right, you know, leading up to that, and then the whole—it's okay. So all it takes is for you to say, "All right, I think I'm done, maybe with show business or whatever." And then that that year, I did uh, what did I do? I started out the year. I'd done Resident Evil the year before, and then I did like prom night, and then I did another movie in LA, and then a movie in Vancouver and then a movie in Alabama, and then ended the, a movie in eastern Canada, ended the year with a, you know, so it's like movie, movie, movie. You know, I hadn't done two movies in Los Angeles in, in since freaking Mortal Kombat. Uh, it's, you never worked in L.A. You worked everywhere else around the world, but you never worked in L.A. Um, and so, then the next year I got on a show called The Gates. You know, I did seven out of the 13 or something, and then I did this and that and movies, and then Teen Wolf came along. No. And, I, and I kind of fell into that. And it just, life is funny, you know? Now, how did that, and didn't Teen Wolf shoot in Atlanta for a little bit? Yeah, that's why I got the job. I don't think I would have gotten the job if I'd been in LA.
0: Now, what happened? Did you audition down there? Or, I mean, how did the whole process start? Because I've heard that people say, we moved, and then there's actors down there, but it's not as thick of as a pool of actors. So you go in and you have credits, you shine. I mean, was that offered to you or did you have to audition and did you think it would run for this long?
1: Uh, I Well, first of all, I got the script for Teen Wolf and I was like, oh shit, really? This is, this is the best thing. can, you know, we're going to do a series based on a bad 80s movie. Right. Um, <laughs> which was a remake of a bad, you know, 50s or 60s movie, you know. It was, and it, it just, you know, it was I was not inspired. And then I read this script, and I'm like, holy shit, this is really good. <laughs> um, and it was. It was great stuff. And, and, yeah, I think I went on tape for it, and then... They wanted to meet with me, and I said no. I, I, you know, I was out of town doing something else. And uh, and Jeff Davis was like, "It's okay. We know. Will he do the part?" And I went, "Yeah." Uh, and so I got this part on this show, and it just, it was really good. I mean, really good. And these kids were great, and the writing was great, and we just. Captured lightning in a bottle. You know, it was... uh No, I never... Th- I don't know. I don't think I thought about six seasons. But, you know, what the hell? It's that- been fun. It sure has been fun.
0: It's funny. A, a guy I've known forever, I used to wait tables with, Tom Choi, is on that show. I love Tom. Yeah, me and him me and him used to work at Gordon beer's and Burbank. God, 15 years ago. We actually worked at Planet Hollywood in Beverly Hills. I've known Tom since I moved out here. I just, we just knew each other. And I know he was on that show. And then Orny Adams has been on my show. He was he was on that show too. Orny's still on the show. Okay. Um, now now, what's it like now? You it's funny because you, you look at your career and you constantly weave in and out of different fan bases, but they're the fan bases that are big. Like a Mortal Kombat fan base is going to be huge. A Melrose fan base, completely different. Than Mortal Kombat. Huge fan base, soap operas, same thing. Now with this show, you're hitting a market. I mean, you know, we remember MTV when it was it was music, and then it was crap reality. But now this is a good scripted show. What is it like? I mean, just to think that you could go to a you could go to a comic con and get mobbed. And have you done any of the cons because of the popularity of the show?
1: I have. I've done a couple cons. I've done you know, and it was funny going back to Comic Con because last time I was at Comic Con was uh, for Mortal Kombat. Um, and it's gotten bigger.
0: I used to live, I used to live, no lie, when Comic-Con started, I lived in San Diego, I think it was 20 years ago, and I lived right near the convention center, and it was nothing. You see a few people in outfits, and then now I see it, I go, man, I could have got, I could have gotten in a place for free 20 years ago, and now it's just this, I mean, people, you could scout tickets for like 500 bucks easily.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you do, and then these other conventions—you know, there are Teen Wolf conventions around, and uh, and it's a. Uh, what I really love is I love to go to these things and talk. I actually like the fans, I do, um, and I and I find that they they come together in these conventions, and it's it's really cool to see how this little show, you know, called Teen Wolf has touched so many lives around the world and really made a difference. Um, And and that's just really cool to see.
0: Why do you think it's touched people? Why do you think it's made a difference? I mean, because, you know, what is the reasoning and why have people embraced it so much?
1: Well, I think that we, you know, we deal with growing up of being a teenager. It's not just about werewolves. Uh, and it's it's parents that are really great parents and involved in their kids' lives. And it's, you know, we deal with homosexuality and transgender like it's not a big deal, like it's just, you know, another color to wear. Um, and, you know, a, gay relationship is no different than a straight relationship. It's, you know, about two people loving each other or dating each other, having fun with each other. Um, we don't put, uh, you know, tonight a very special episode right. of Teen. It's like, no, it's like, you know, these two kids are dating and they are got two guys or two girls or whatever, and we don't make a big deal about it. We And we incorporate that into the fabric of our show and I think that by not making a big deal out of it, you're, you're destigmatizing all this stuff, and, and, and it's really touched people, and, you know, and the way that parents interact with kids has touched people. I've had so many people come up and go, you know, I don't have a dad, but, you know, your relationship with your, your son on the show, if I could have a father, I would want it to be like that. I'd want it to be you, sort of, you know, it's a, and And the issues that we deal with and the way that we deal with them, I just it just is deeper than just a series about a teenage werewolf. you know it's uh, really human issues and about growing up and about fitting in and about uh, the changes that we go through and struggles and triumphs and and you know, it just worked.
0: that it still works. Does that shoot out here now or is it still shooting? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Became, we shot two two seasons in Atlanta and then we came out on our third season.
0: Well, that must be great because now, you know, you went from where you live. Now you're out here and you're living, so it's perfect.
1: Yeah. And then, like, we're, we're empty nesters, so we came out and we're like, you know, the hardest part for me living in Atlanta is, you know, I grew up surfing and I surf all the time and it was, not an easy place to surf. Living in Atlanta, yeah. um, So when we came back out, I'm like, "Hey, let's," you know. They gave you uh, living expenses and per diem and whatnot, and I'm like, "Let's let's not rent a place in the valley. Not there's anything wrong with the valley. I lived in the valley. Um, let's just let's live in Malibu." See, so we bought, we bought a little place down here. We, you know, and we live. Kind of on the beach, and life is pretty damn good.
0: And now you have a new movie coming out, too.
1: I do, I do. And it's called Beta Test? It is called Beta Test.
0: Comes out the 22nd, I believe?
1: Mm-hmm. It's uh, on the 22nd, and it's a 20, uh, 22 or 20-city 20 release, uh, limited release, 20 cities. And it's, uh, and it's a really cool, fun little movie. Um and once again, it was a, an offer, and the director calling me up and talking me, to me about what he wanted to do. And it was... He, he, it's, a, it's a film that Nick Genie called me up, and he's a director and writer, and said, I'm doing this movie, I want it to be an homage to 1990s action movies with a 2016 twist. And, you know, he talked to me about it and what he wanted to do. And obviously, 1990s action movies are kind of near and dear to my heart. Um, and, you know, it's funny because we did this movie and it's like stylistically that, you know, the logos for the company and the game consoles and stuff, it's all very throwback. And then you're dealing with gun control issues, which couldn't be any more timely if we scripted it. And, uh, you know, and your villain and your hero and how we did it. And then, you know, I don't want to give too much away about the, the film, but, you know, there are sections of the film that you think are animated, but, and it's not. You're you're watching a video, a video game engine that was created for this film. It's an actual video game. And, you know... It was. It's a fun little movie, and and once again, it's if I if I get to work with somebody who's smart and imaginative and gonna do things differently and elevate something. If they're you know, if you can take what could be just a B action film and turn it into a really smart limited budget action film instead, I'm down with that and. You know, he wanted to do stuff. Like, I think we have the longest action sequence, no-cut, single-cut single, single cut action sequence in film history in this movie. Wow. Um, and it's just a, you know, it's not going to cure cancer, and it's not going to do anything, but it's, it's smart, it's good action, and it's fun.
0: Now, what's your character, Kincaid? Is he a good guy, a bad guy, or can you reveal that, or do we have to wait to see it?
1: Uh, I'm a bad guy.
0: Now, do you like playing bad guys?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, it's fun. I mean, the thing about bad guys is they never think they're bad, right? <laughs> you know, I'm sure that you know Stalin thought he was a pretty good guy. He is. He, he was justified in what he did. Who was it? Is it Ahab, who in uh, Moby Dick who said my my motives are pure and my but my methods are mad or something like that. Right. <laughs> uh, and that's kind of the way that I looked at this character. I mean, his motives are are pure until he's, well, you just don't realize he's absolutely batshit crazy. <laughs> um, but he has good ideas, and you're listening to his arguments at first, and you're like, okay, I'm down with that. And then you go, oh, wait a sec.
0: Yeah. So, I always ask my guests this, especially you guys who've been in lo- very long careers. What are some of the best ways you've gotten killed on screen?
1: Oh, I think Resident Evil Extinction. I had zombie. I was on the Eiffel Tower in Vegas killing zombies, and then zombies jumped on my back and threw me off the Eiffel Tower. That was a good one. Now,
0: how did they shoot that?
1: Uh, Well, I was on. A model of the Eiffel Tower that they built, and these two stuntmen jumped on my back, and and I think that that Eiffel Tower should have like bought me dinner and drinks for what it did to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, like just I thought it was going to split me in two uh, with two guys, you know, on your back, and you know you're you're basically straddling a girder. It was it was not great, and then you know fell off and. I don't remember. I guess into a pad of some sort. Um, I don't know. I don't know how I fell off. Now
0: back to Team Wolf, real quick. Okay. Okay. Is is a new season coming up, or what's what's going on? It
1: is. We just we finished. We're finishing up the first ten episodes of our sixth season, and it is. It's good. It's really good, actually. It's uh, every time. I, you know I was talking to Jeff Davis about it and you know I just saw the trailer for it and I was like wow and he goes yeah he goes it's still Teen Wolf and I'm like yes it is and with everything that that brings and and then some it's and I showed it to Paul Anderson who you know is a good friend of mine directed Mortal Kombat I showed him the trailer and he goes fuck he goes that does not look like a TV show that's in its sixth season he goes that looks like a first year second year show that you're still trying to prove yourself and you know he goes you're, it, it just gets better and better He goes it looks like a big budget feature and you know we work really hard on that show and and we don't settle and which is what I love I mean that goes back to loving. You know, the soap opera, I I don't I don't do well with accepting mediocrity. Um, I'd rather stay there and work longer and get it right. And you know, you you, you, you know, I've found that in my career that if you bust your ass and you know, you work you know, 15, 16 hour days, whatever you're working and in three months when you watch the finished product. You don't care. You don't don't think about how hard you worked. You think about how good what you're watching is. And when you just, you know, when people don't put that effort in and when they settle and you watch it for, you know, three months later and you go, oh, God, I'm ashamed of this. Um, I never want to be ashamed of anything that I do.
0: Now, when is it? Do they have a premiere date already for Teen Wolf?
1: Uh, I think it's, I think it's going to be October. Um, I I don't know. Uh, I think Comic-Con's coming up and they'll probably announce it then. Um, But I don't, I don't know, I don't know an exact date.
0: Now, now what's your Twitter?
1: My Twitter is Lyndon Ashby, Lyndon Ashby.
0: And you have a lot of followers I saw.
1: I do, um, I think, yeah, like, 300,000 or something, which is a lot of people.
0: That's a ton of people. Now, do you do you tweet a lot? Do you keep active on it?
1: I tweet... Yeah, I'll tweet when something strikes my fancy or I want to talk about something, I'll tweet. Um, I think I tweeted about the Portugal-France final this weekend, because I'm a, a soccer fan. Um, and did I tweet about anything since then? I don't know. Uh, yeah, so I'm not a what would it be a, uh, tweetaholic uh, I'm not a serial tweeter yeah. but, um, but I tweet if something strikes my You know, if, if I see something that's funny like I tried to get out my camera last night because I'm sitting in a restaurant bar and there are four four or five women gathered around a parking meter trying to figure out how to make it work <laughs> and I'm like god damn it where's my camera uh, you know it's a parking meter how can four women not know how to make a parking meter work and they're easier now because you can just put a card in. I know, but it seemed like it was, you know, magic to them or something.
0: Now, dude, do your team will fans tweet to you?
1: Yes, they do, and I tweet back to them.
0: And is it a lot of times? Is it just very encouraging? I mean, do you feel like that you're really loved by them?
1: I do. I do. I feel like I feel like I'm really liked and loved by a lot of the people who follow me and I feel like I have a relationship with some of them. Um, And I'll tweet back and I'll talk to them and, you know, uh, I can't do it every day all the time, but there'll be times that, yeah, I absolutely respond and write back.
0: See, that's awesome. Well, we got to wrap up in just a few. Do you Instagram? You seem like a guy who might Instagram.
1: I don't. I mean, I think I... There was a time when I had a pretty good Instagram account that wasn't mine, but I was pretty damn impressed with it. Uh, so Someone else was putting up all kinds of pictures. I'm like, look at me. Uh, but uh, no, I don't. I can only do one social media thing at a time. And maybe dying. I should do Instagram. I don't know. But I, I don't really Facebook. And I just kind of tweet and maybe... I don't know. That's Maybe cool. I should do other things, but I don't. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. and uh, Thank you for having me. Bet. I actually enjoyed it quite a bit.
0: Thank you. Beta Test, the 22nd, 20-city release. You bet. At Lyndon Ashby. People follow him at Lyndon Ashby. Follow me at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk Instagram, Cooper Talk one Words with friends. I'll play you, Cooper Talk one uh, Don't forget my website, www.coopertalk.net. I have 530 episodes up there. You can email me Cooper at coopertalk.net. Tell me what guests you want to see or if I can get them. And I will try. And uh, iTunes and Stitcher, one word, Cooper Talk. talk. And don't forget also my other website, stopthesalt.com. It was a little over four years ago when I had my heart problem. Went in the hospital, came out, gave up caffeine, gave up cigarettes, and... Start started eating really healthy. So the book is at StopTheSalt.com. It's 120 recipes, low-sodium cooking for one. You won't get intimidated. There's no pictures, guys. It's directed for you guys who are afraid to cook. No pictures to scare you. No long list of ingredients. If you don't have cumin, don't worry. You don't need cumin. I, don't, I eat with it, but I'm a better cook than you guys. And uh, you can get it at Amazon.com and barnesnoble.com. But if you buy it from me, I'll sign it, and I make more money. And that's what it's about. You know, I write this to help you guys, but I got to make money. So anyway, don't forget, beta test, July 22nd. Go see it. Follow Lyndon Ashby. Follow me. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I will talk to you guys next week.